Thank you very much. Yeah, it was freezing down at the town centre this morning. Never mind. Um, yeah, just to say that the Bible, going through the Bible in one year, the app that John mentioned, the, the method he was talking about, Joy and I are just coming to the end of doing that. We did it in, in 2019. And uh, it is excellent. It really is very good. And it's, the commentaries are really helpful. And Nikki Gumbel is incredibly insightful. So... I, we would both recommend it as well. And I'm thinking, shall I do it in 2020 as well? So I haven't made up my mind, but maybe. Okay, so as John said, I'm concluding our series on What a Beautiful Name. And I'm going to be talking about the Prince of Peace. And it's going to be based around Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7a. And uh, I'm going to go into the text in a little bit of detail uh, as well, I trust. So in this passage, there's been... Preceding that passage, there's been some judgment that God is saying is going to happen. But then that's why the verse starts, nevertheless, there's going to be mercy shown. And this is what it's going to be like. Don't worry if you don't understand things. I'll seek to explain it. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's as far as I want to go today. Now, just to begin with, here's a picture I'd like to show you. Does anyone know who this is? Yeah, it's Neville Chamberlain. He's waving a piece of paper. It was called the Munich Agreement. It came after he had a meeting in September 1938 with Herr Hitler and Mussolini where they agreed that some of Czechoslovakia would be divided up and that the Nazis could have some of it. And uh, as a result of that so-called agreement... Neville Chamberlain came back and waved this piece of paper that people had signed, the main players, and he said this, I believe it is peace for our time. Well, we know differently, don't we? Within less than a year, Britain was at war with Germany. And eight months later, Neville Chamberlain, in his resignation resignation speech, said, as Churchill became prime minister, he said this, And you and I must rally behind our new leader, and with our united strength, And with unshakable courage, fight and work until this wild beast which has sprung out of his lair upon us has been finally disarmed and overthrown. What a contrast between the first statement that he made, peace in our time, and this one he made later on. Well, what's that got to do with what I'm going to say? What's got to do with this? Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but is not a costless peace. It's a peace that is going to be very costly. It's a peace that is going to have to be won. 
For the book of Revelation tells us this in chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. In other words, a picture of Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war. But it's a different kind of war. Not fought with guns and bullets, but one fought with prayer, righteousness, truth, justice, and love. I recently read a book about the history of the Crusades. The Crusades was a series of religious wars where European Christian states attempted to wrest the Holy Land from Islamic rule. As I was reading the book, one of the things that struck me was how misguided they were. For the Apostle Paul describes our warfare like this in the book of Ephesians. For we are not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world. The rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark age. And as I was studying for this uh, talk this morning, the first thing that struck me was this. The Prince of Peace goes to war. We have an expression in English, to fight someone's corner. It means to stand up for someone or some cause. For example, the actress Joanna Lumley fought the corner of some of the Nepali Gurkhas regarding their right to live in the UK. She fought their corner. As Isaiah proclaims this prophetic word, it's in this context of battle that the Prince of Peace is going to come. Isn't it good when you have someone who fights your corner, who stands up for you? And Jesus is going to fight, the prophet says, so that we can be freed from the kingdom of darkness and be brought into the kingdom of light. He's going to fight so that we can be reconciled to God. He's going to fight so that we can enter into the peace of God. The Prince of Peace goes to war. The Prince of Peace comes into a troubled situation. Let's look at the text, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Well, what's that all about? What is the significance of Zebulun and Naphtali here? Well, when Israel was divided into two kingdoms under the reign of Solomon's son Rehoboam, it was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. The northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians. And all the people of Naphtali were exiled to Assyria. So obviously it was a time of distress, which Isaiah points out. But he says there will be no more gloom though. Why? Because the Prince of Peace is going to come. Now Nazareth, as it happens, is in the territory of Naphtali. Hence the fact the prophet mentions this. Jesus performed his first miracle in that region. The Sea of Galilee, again the prophet refers to that, where Jesus did many of his miracles, is where Zebulun is. And Matthew points this out in his gospel in chapter 4 of Jesus. He says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of, guess where? Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And on the road to Damascus, when Saul is going to try and persecute God's people, but Jesus appears to him, Saul says, who are you, Lord? Jesus replies, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Zebulun and Naphtali 
Nazareth is in that region. And it would have known the tramp of the boots of foreign northern soldiers for decades. Because to get from Assyria to Judah, you had to go through the northern territories of Israel. So you'd have to go through Zebulun and Naphtali. So they would have known what it was to have been oppressed, deprived. But it's in this context of oppression that the Prince of Peace comes. But he doesn't just come for the people of Zebulun and Naphtali, as Isaiah points out. He comes for, in verse 1, Galilee of the nations. The nations are going to be affected by the coming of the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is going to go to war against the powers of darkness. But it won't be a physical war. It will be a spiritual war. And he's going to be victorious. And Isaiah points out what it's going to be like. He says, and it will be, in verse 4, as in the day of Midian's defeat. What's that all about? Well, we read about Midian in the book of Judges. Midian was an invading army that plundered Israel. So if Israel grew crops or tried to get any sense of peace, the Midians would come and plunder the land. <clears throat> so, and, and at the time of Gideon, the Midianites came as a great army. The Bible tells us that there's so many camels that were more than the sand of the seashore. It was a vast army, but then God wanted Midian to be defeated through Gideon. But the problem was this, that Gideon's army was too big. There was about 22,000 odd soldiers in his army. Again, compared to the Midianite army, that was very small. But God said, no, I want that army to be reduced. Otherwise, if you defeat them, you'll say it was by our power we did it. So eventually the army gets reduced to 300 men. And then, in order to defeat the Midianites, what they have to do is they have to get a clay pot and put a burning torch inside the clay pot. And simultaneously, they have to break the clay pot so the light shines. And as the light shines, the army of the Midianites gets completely defeated. It was as the light was revealed that Gideon triumphed over the Midianites. And here, Isaiah proclaims a greater light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There's going to be a massive victory. But it won't happen according to human standards. It won't happen according to human power. Jesus comes for the most part unexpectedly. He comes in humble form. He comes dependent on others. He comes in weakness as a baby. He comes to those in darkness. He comes to the nations. He dies in apparent weakness. It's going to be not as people expected. But the apostle Paul tells us as Christ dies in weakness that having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And that's how Jesus goes to war. By sacrificing his life. Verses 4 and 5, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. And Jesus has shattered our yoke. The yoke of slavery to sin. The yoke of death. Jesus has shattered it. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot, he looks into the future, used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. 
So God's purposes are still being worked out. And one day there will be an end to human warfare. Jesus is going to bring it to an end. There will be a complete end to oppression. As the Prince of Peace begins his rule in our lives. And we begin to experience his peace. So he is going to bring his peace to all the cosmos. And there will finally be an end to war. And no one and nothing will be able to get in his way. He's disarmed the principalities and powers. The powers of darkness triumphing over them in his cross. It will be in the, as in the day of Midian. It will be as in apparent weakness that the light's going to shine and defeat the darkness. There's also going to be a new government. Jesus' victory is going to have a far-reaching outcome. Of the greatness of his government, verse 7, and peace, there will be no end. And boy, we are so privileged to be living at this time where we're seeing the gospel spreading throughout the world. Since that great day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the disciples to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And we still see it spreading today. We're supporting Jackie and Wes Ringer Marshall who are involved in translating the Bible into South Sudanese languages. Why? So that people can read and understand the word of God in their own language. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. At King's in our small part of the world here, 19 people got baptized in 2019. Praise the Lord. People deciding they want to commit to following Jesus. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The Prince of Peace comes largely unexpectedly. He comes in human form, born as a baby. He comes in apparent weakness. He has all the religious and secular powers of the day ganged up against him. He has the satanic powers of darkness eager to see him destroyed. He goes to war against them even as he comes to bring peace. What peace does Jesus come to bring in that case? He comes to bring peace with God. How? His message is very clear. Mark tells us in his gospel, Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Simple as that. Repent and believe the good news. That is how we enter into the peace of God. Repent means to turn away from our life, which is hostile towards God. It means to turn to Jesus and decide to leave that futile way of life behind and to walk with him. I remember as a, a 20-year-old in, in, at Christmas time, I think John shared something of his story of how he came to faith. And as I was sitting listening to him, I thought, hmm, echoes of my own experience. I had what was called a... Because I... I guess a bit like John, didn't think I was too bad. I thought, yeah, I knew I'd done stuff wrong, of course. We all know that, don't we? We don't need anybody else to tell us. We know we've done wrong stuff, but I didn't think I was too bad in the great scheme of things until I had a light bulb moment. A light bulb moment when I suddenly had understanding. Now, I know for some of us, it's not so much a light bulb moment, but it can be just like the dimmer switch on the light, you know, just the light gradually goes up, or the light of dawn, where the darkness slowly, slowly, slowly goes until the sun rises. For me, it was more like switch. The light bulb came on, and suddenly I realized I was going totally in the wrong direction in my life. I just knew it. The Holy Spirit revealed it to me, and I thought, I must stop going this way, and I must go the other way instead. Instead of just thinking about Jesus, just some kind of good religious teacher like any other. No, no, no. He's the son of God. 
He is the Savior of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. I didn't realize that, but now I understand, so I'm going to go that way. And I'm still making that decision every day. I want to make that decision. I don't want to follow the darkness. I want to follow the light. I want to follow Jesus. And this morning, down at the town center, we had a great time of worship. And one of the songs that we sang was, I worship you. I worship you. And as I was standing down at the front, and I was singing this song in my heart, I thought, yes, Jesus. Really, that's what I want. I want to worship you. I want you to be at the center. I want to give you everything. I know I struggle from time to time. I put some stuff on the table. I give this to you, Lord. And then 10 minutes later, I take it back. No, I don't want to be like that, Father. Help me, please. I want to worship you. I want to dedicate myself again to that, Father. Help me. That's what repentance is about. It's an ongoing thing as well as maybe just a one-off thing that we do. To turn away from sin and to turn to God and believe. Believe the good news. Which is summed up by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 like this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We need to believe in the good news that Jesus came to reconcile us to God. He came to transform us from God's enemies to his friends. We need to have faith to trust in what Jesus has done for us. When we do, then something wonderful happens. The Apostle Paul describes it like this in the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, in other words, believing what Jesus has done for us, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I was thinking of some similes. How could I express this with a simile or two? You may well think of others. When we receive the peace of God, it's like fresh, cool, clear water beginning to flow in a parched desert. It's like hearing the first bird song after a long, cold, dark winter. If we want peace in our lives, that is the starting point. Reconciliation with God. We need to experience what it means to have peace with God because there is no real abiding peace without peace with God. God is our peace. When we repent and decide to believe the good news, then God himself becomes our security. This is so important as we enter, about to enter 2020, to understand and to really get it deep in our hearts. And I'll tell you this, you will be tested. You will be tested. And some of the tests may not be very nice. We have to come to this point where we really understand and know that Jesus is our security. Not many secure things in this world. I don't know about you, but I found that our whole democratic system in the UK has just felt very insecure over the last few years. Not quite knowing where things are going to go and Nobody seeming to be in control and it just uh, arguing going on and it made me feel very insecure, I have to say. Financial markets, I noticed as well with the conservatives getting a significant majority 
uh, following the election recently, I noticed that as a result of that, the pound increased in value, which is great if you're going on holiday abroad. The pound increased in value. And then a couple of days later, the prime minister said, the deadline for leaving the EU is definitely going to be this. The pound went down in value. It's insecure, isn't it? Our health sometimes can be fragile. Life can be insecure. Relationships can be fraught. Stresses come uninvited. That's certainly my experience. Where can we find that security that brings peace? Well, if we are hoping that when all the circumstances of life favorably line up, then we'll have peace. We can be waiting a long time. It's like dominoes. If you do one of these domino things where you line up all the dominoes and you flick the first one and then they'll go blah, 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 blah. If we're waiting for the circumstances of life to line up like that, we will be waiting a very, very long time. As I look back on 2019, and I'm sure it's probably true for you, you will have experienced stresses and strains in your life, things that you would probably never wanted to face. Peace is not simply a feeling. It's not simply having all the circumstances of life 10 out of 10. Peace is in a person. It's in the Prince of Peace. Circumstances of life, situations that come uninvited, can affect our sense of peace. I understand that. You know, we will have stresses and strains in our life that can affect our sense of peace, and it would be foolish to say that they don't. But what I'm saying is this, we have to come to a place then, facing them with that profounder sense of security, and finding it in someone who does not change. He is not fickle, not like the circumstances of life. He's someone who can rely on. He is someone who gets it. He understands all the stresses and strains of life. What do you think it was like when Jesus heard the news from his disciples that his beloved cousin John had just had his head cut off, savagely cut off on the whim of some wicked king? How must Jesus have felt at that time, I wonder? He then said, let's go off to a lonely place. He probably wanted just a bit of time, but he didn't get it because the crowds followed him. Jesus gets it. How do you think Jesus felt when the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's about to face the most difficult situation in his whole life, and he would love to have a bit of human support. And his disciples all flee. Despite protestations of, yeah, we're going to be with you. Yeah, we will stay till the end. How did he feel then? Hanging on the cross as well, even more so. That forsakenness, which we can never understand. Jesus gets it. Dear friends, he gets it. He gets what it is to be human. He gets what it is. And he is not one who runs away when the wolf comes to the door. Do you have any wolves howling at your door? Jesus is not about to leave you if you do. He is a person who is a wonderful counselor. You need direction in your life? Go to the wonderful counselor. A person who is a mighty God. You're not simply subject to the whims of an out-of-control life force. But you're in the nail-pierced hands of the one who put the sun, the moon, and stars in place. A person who is the everlasting father, whose love for you is strong, powerful, and faithful. He is watching over you. 
Why? Because you are his precious child. He is the Prince of Peace. And his peace is extending in the lives of those who choose to follow him. History may seem out of control. Tyrants rise and fall. Wars come and go. Civil strife is rampant in human society. Where it's all, where's it all heading? But Jesus' rule keeps on growing even in the midst of all that, and it cannot be suppressed. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to whom all authority has been given in heaven and on earth, will bring things to an end. He will be at the consummation of human history. All things will meet his purposes. Sometimes it may feel as if life is out of control. It certainly feels as we look at the world, North Korea now threatening America again. ISIS rising in part again. What a mess we're in. Where's it all heading? It seems completely out of control. It's not out of control. And we don't understand all God's purposes, but where it's heading, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And sometimes it may feel on a personal level, my life's like that. It's out of control. I see this situation. I see that situation. And I feel it's out of control. It's not out of control. The very, very hairs of your head are numbered. Jesus sees the sparrow fall. How much more his precious child. It's in that cosmic setting of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. In that cosmic setting that God calls us to live in his peace. Peace with one another. The Apostle Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because in the world, people won't find peace. They won't find it. Because you can't find it without reconciliation with God. It's impossible. So where can it be found? It can be found in the body of the church. This is not just, well, live happily together. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because it's a great testimony. It's a great witness to those outside in the world. If we have peace with one another. So let me ask you a question, a little bit cheeky this time. As you look back on 2019, have you been someone who's maintained the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace in the church? If you have, well done. Praise the Lord. Keep doing it. If you haven't, then make it your aim. (laughs) I'm sure there's very few. (laughs) Make it your aim to do that in 2020. I'll leave you to decide which one you're in. But it's in that cosmic setting that God calls us to live in his peace. Here's another thing. Are you anxious about anything? Anything. I was asking myself that question yesterday as I was walking through the town center and I was thinking about what I was going to be saying today again. And I was thinking, am I anxious about anything? And I had a list that I felt anxious about at different levels, if you like, level one and level two and so on. And level 10 is major. I don't think, anyway. And I had things that I was anxious about. So what does the apostle Paul tell us to do? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, keep praying. Don't give up. 
anxious about anything, bring it to the Lord. If that anxiety comes back, what do you do? You bring it to the Lord. So I'm having to learn that again this year. Another thing about living the peace is be guided, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.15, by God's peace in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In other words, the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our lives, brings a sense of equilibrium. He brings a sense of balance, spiritual balance in our life that gives us a sense of peace. And as we have that sense of peace, that sense of peace is designed to guide us as well in the decisions that we make. If we begin to lose that peace, that equilibrium goes haywire, then we know there's something not quite right. So we need to maintain the peace. God will give us this peace, but we need to fight sometimes to retain it. And as we do these things, and we in turn can become peacemakers. And we know what Jesus said about them. Blessed are the peacemakers. As we look ahead to the new year, let's also make it our aim to be peacemakers. Anybody can stir up trouble. That is dead easy. I could stir up trouble right now if I wanted to. I could start criticizing you publicly. Boy, that would stir up trouble, wouldn't it? But I'm not going to do that. Why? Because God calls us to be peacemakers. Dear friends, Jesus is your security. Your peace is in a person, not a thing, not a force. Do you know him? Have you committed your life to him? Or are you still struggling with who he is? Because that's what it all hinges on, who he is, the Prince of Peace. Unlike Neville Chamberlain, who tried to appease something that was essentially evil, Jesus goes to war against the evil powers of darkness so that we will be freed from the tyranny of sin and death and know the peace of God. So let God's peace be evident in your life. Sometimes you have to fight to keep it. So as we're on the threshold of 2020, I would like us all to reaffirm at the threshold of this new year, your trust. If you follow Jesus, I want you to reaffirm your trust in the Prince of Peace who holds you gently in his everlasting arms. So as the band come back up, Simon, if you and the band would like to come back, and John to follow up in the meeting. Let's just take a moment to reflect. Perhaps you haven't yet decided really to follow the Prince of Peace. Then I would encourage you at this moment to say to him, I want to follow you, Jesus, help me. I want to repent and I want to believe the good news. And if you are a follower of the Lord, let's reaffirm as we enter 2020, I want to find my security in you again, Jesus, and reaffirm who you are and that you're holding me in your nail-pierced hands. Amen? Amen.